Psalm 17, as we come to a very similar psalm in some respects to that which we've just sang in Psalm 4 of uh, of that struggle that the psalmist has, that that David has of of working in a context of of not only struggle but of of unrighteousness, of living a righteous life, and yet that tension that comes of of looking at a world that lives anything but for him, a, a king who is seeking his life, who is chasing after him. God, how, how is there justice in this? How is there blessing in this? And yet that reminder for David and for us this morning to continue to cry out to him, recognizing we need you to save us. We need to be defined in that kind of salvation. And so let's hear these words together. Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear now the word of the Lord. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey and like a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord. Confront him. Cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Children of God called to be saints, as believers in Christ, we have been made new, or at least that's what we claim to believe by way of his word, made new through the sacrifice and righteousness of Jesus. We have a spirit dwelling in our hearts. He's written his law upon them, searing our consciences with the truth. We have the example before us of the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, those in covenant faithfulness that you know in your families, those that have gone on to be with the Lord, showing us that way, encouraging us in terms of the how now shall we live. That for us, a Christian people, a saved people, we have every possible blessing and advantage of doing the right thing, of doing what is right. So then why is it so hard? Why do we come again to this place this Sunday morning having to hear the law and be convinced of our sins again? Shouldn't we know better? Why have we made the same mistakes in this past week again? Have we not learned? Why is it so hard? Well, we need to hear it plainly again this morning. Holiness and living righteously are hard 
because of sin. It's a very basic thing. Again, it's something that we've heard over and over and over again. Satan lurks around every corner. Our nature wars against us and against doing what is right. A sinful world that seems to be getting more sinful all the time, that too wars against us, leading us into temptation and vice, those things which only lead us to death. The world dictates to us and seemingly very loud in these days, dictating what is right and wrong, acceptable and unacceptable, truthful and untruthful, hurtful or hateful, and anything in between. And it's in this context that we need to pray. We need to pray a lot more than we do. But nonetheless, we need to pray. And we need to pray knowing that, that he has justified us. We pray and cry out to him, you have made us holy. But I ask you this morning, congregation, are you praying for more? Are you asking for more than just that? Are we those in Christ who want to know more of his righteousness, more of his holiness? Are we those who will not be satisfied until his spirit completes that work in us? Is that what we pray for too? Lord, complete the work that you have begun. And why we want to pray that way again is because the world around us wants nothing to do with that kind of order. The world around us isn't going to encourage that. You know what? It would be great if you looked more like Jesus. Well, they despise such talk. And that too makes doing right hard for us. And it's hard because as we look at the world, they just don't seem to care. They don't care in the ways that we do. We struggle with what we see. We look at the pride of the world and how can this be? God, how how do you let this happen? Why do we have to struggle in these ways? How can you let this inconsistency stand? And, And in our heart of hearts, we know the rest of the story. We know that it's not true. And yet that continues to ring in our ears and in our minds. We know that judgment is coming. But yet we want to cry out to God, take notice. Look at my life. Look at the way that we live. Why, why do we have to struggle so much? Why this constant battle? Why this constant tear? Why this groaning? Why must I struggle so when the world with no thought of your word doesn't? You see, congregation, he does take notice. That nothing is happening in this life of which he doesn't take notice. He always notices, even as he always attends to our prayers. And so David's prayer in Psalm 17, then, is a reminder for us to look at things in that way, to look at he does, that we look upon one who is holy, one who attends to our prayers, one who gives us that reminder that we need to look at this life in the way that he does, that we would find our satisfaction in him, and that we would find it in the way that he is working. And so we want to hear this word this morning. The Lord attends to the prayer of his people who cry out to him for salvation from the pride of their enemies. And we cry out to him alone 
asking even in the words of the psalmist three things, or at least stating then our confidence in three things. The first is this, Lord, you know. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 5. Then we're going to cry out, God, you answer in verses 6 through 12. And then, Lord, you deliver in verses 13 through 15. So as we cry out to him for salvation, those are the things, not that we just feel, those are the things that we know. Lord, you know. It's why David can go then in that first place to God, knowing that there's no other place to go. We have no other place to go with our plea and request but to the Lord. But that's the problem, right? Again, we know a right answer, but we don't always do it. That our problem is we don't always run to the Lord when difficulty comes in the first place. That in fact we try to justify ourselves, even our own sin and pride. We try to fix things for ourselves and usually leave a raging dumpster fire rather than just coming to him for the help that we needed in the first place. Yet David comes to the Lord differently. Yes, here's this one who has been anointed by Samuel to be the next king over Israel. Here is one who seeks to be faithful to the Lord in his word. Here is one who is a man after God's own heart. And yet in the present, the presently anointed Saul in this moment is seeking to end David's life. The contrast couldn't be more stark, right? Here is David seeking to live a faithful, righteous, and holy life. And yet here's Saul living in in luxury, in freedom, even as David goes about hiding in caves. That instantly, children, we cry out, unfair. (laughs) This isn't how it should be. And so what would your response be? That these circumstances in your life right now, what is your response as you cry out to God? Is it doubt? Is it other sin? Is it discouragement? Is it frustration and and a desire to maybe even give up? Why, Why is it worth it? Or do you trust the Lord? Do you trust His Word? Do you trust His work? And so David here, right from the get, chooses trust. Verse 1, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. And, And notice what he asks for. God, I want you to hear first. He doesn't ask him to look first. He says, hear first. Because he already knows that God sees. He already knows that God is sovereign over all things. So in crying out to the covenant keeping God, David is calling upon the Lord to to remember his word, to hear what he had promised, promises of blessing, obedience. Father, attend to my cry because my plea is one free of deceit. My cry is free, Lord. He is simply stating that his prayer is a righteous one. And that's where this passion comes from. See those words again. Hear, attend, give ear. That David is asking for the Lord, Father, do what you've promised. Judge my prayer and judge my cause. Because my lips haven't been deceitful. No, Saul has. Saul has alleged all kinds of falsehoods. So attend my prayer. See and hear. And so already David is finding himself needing to rest in that comfort. Verse 2, let my vindication Come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. It's David giving himself even, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that perspective. 
that what man has to say about me, what Saul and his men may have to say about me, what men might do to me, it doesn't matter. It certainly doesn't matter most. No, the Lord will judge. And so here is David throwing himself upon the mercy of the Lord. My vindication, my right can only come from you. You will uphold your own. This is what I claim, Lord. But yet hear what he's claiming. I'm right. And instantly we kind of cringe when we read this text because can any of us stand before the Lord that way? I'm right. But what is David saying? He's not saying that he's righteous before God. He's saying he's righteous before a world that is chasing him falsely. And that's the difference. That we can cry out to the Lord in that way. We recognize our sin. But Father, I've sought faithfulness. Bless that effort. Care for me in it. It's as if he's saying, God, look with your eyes and know my innocence. That I have not sought to, take, uh, to attack Saul or, or take his life. When opportunity has presented itself, I haven't taken it up. Because I rest in you. What an example. That even in that moment, even as David knows what he is going through, the Lord knew it all together. He's working through it. And so David could rest in the fact that God worked righteousness and obedience in him and for him. And so now he asks, show it to me. And really the next words of this prayer are super dangerous ones. Verse 3, you have tested my heart. So he's saying a past reality. You have visited me in the light night. You have tried me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. You know my heart, O Lord. And so as he prays that, certainly he has to come as one who is finding his forgiveness in someone else. But hear it. Test me. Those overtones of search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in joy everlasting. Lead me in joy in your way. And so as he is saying, you have tested me. It's still present reality. Examine me, O God. Work in me. God, attend to me so often that you will see and hear what the world is doing. And yet we pray to the Lord through those struggles and trials that he would test our heart. Test me, God. Don't take this stuff away. Don't take the suffering away, but test me in it. Show me what you've given. Show me the faith. Show me the grace. That it's that kind of faith in just such a God given to David by the Lord, which allows him to stand to the test. Lord, you know that I've sought to obey your word. Verse 4, concerning the works of men. By the words of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. I've avoided that because, Lord, you've been faithful. You've led me and guided me by your word. Verse 5, uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. That here is the Lord keeping and preserving David. And David now cries out, please keep doing that. That in every step of my life, keep doing that. 
Because it's in those moments where we recognize that we haven't slipped that the danger to do so is most real. Hear that again. In those moments where we recognize that we haven't slipped, the danger to do so is most real. That the more grace we are shown, the more real our sense of the danger of falling into sin. And it's at that point then that we have to know our confidence. And David's confidence is found in the Lord. How do we know that? You know. That's his cry. You know. And so are we, congregation, coming before him in those moments, seeking comfort in him? Encouraged. Lord, you know my life. You see it. You hear my prayer, not because of me, but because of the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we need to continually call out to him because he knows us, knowing that he will never allow the righteous to fall, knowing that in coming in faith, God will answer us in his will and way. And that the second place, God, you answer. We hear that in verse 6. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. And that's a glorious truth to underline for us in time of need and struggle. Not only does he hear me, Not only does he hear the words of my prayer, but he will attend to them and act upon them. These are just empty words that we're trying to find solace in. We come before an almighty God able to do more than we hope or imagine. And so we cry to him. It's a promise that David knew well, leading him to praise and seek the Lord. Verse 7, show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you, from those who rise up against them. Show forth your unchanging mercy in your electing love. Do so in your sustaining and never failing love. That, that here David is longing for a glorious salvation in this time from the Lord who is mighty to save. The one who is able to reach out and deliver his people by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. And so in the midst of his circumstances, even in the midst of trial and turmoil, that is where the wondrous show of salvation would be seen most clearly. That in that darkness, that light would shine brightly. And so David prays, Lord, give testimony to your power in this moment. Do so in my life. That here David is finding his only comfort and refuge in the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, if we do not turn to him in those times, what are our eyes going to fix on? On folly, on disaster, of everything apart from a context of the Lord and his word. That even David here is not sure where he's going to see this, right? He's not sure when this is going to happen. But he cries out in confidence, knowing that it will. Yet in our trials, how do we typically pray? Deliver me immediately. When things get hard, Father, take it away. When days seem dark, turn the light on already. That's not what David is asking for. Because what if that isn't the will of the Lord? We pray, Lord, take a virus away. What if he doesn't right away? Take away this economic uncertainty. What if he doesn't? What if we get the leaders this country deserves? 
Now what? What if it is for His glory and our good that we suffer? And so we can look to Him in that moment because the God who answers prayer is our refuge always. And yet He is mindful, David is, that He needs to be kept and preserved by Him too, no matter the answer that is sent. And so He comes again to that confidence in verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. At children, it's a beautiful image, isn't it? That to keep one as the apple of your eye is to keep you in the center of your vision. That God, in a way, is saying, I only have eyes for you. And we know that he has eyes for everyone, but he's looking and saying, you are always in my center of vision. Every part of your life is not hidden from me. Lord, keep me your chosen one in the line of your sight so that nothing will come against me that you will not see and act upon. Keep me under the shadow of your wings. A mother hen breaking out her wings to care for her chicks. Keep me there. Sustain me there. Let me not wander from you, but hem me in and keep me in and extend to me your care and protection. That the Lord delivered David from the hand of Saul. But now when the great enemy was right there seeking to devour him, David is praying, keep me and preserve me, O God. And that is the Lord's answer to David's prayer. Regardless of what would happen, David can stand there assured. This is my portion and my lot. I am cared for and seen by the living God. And so he could take comfort. David, I will not leave you or forsake you. I will not be unfaithful to the promises I have made to you. I will care for you. And do we need any less care than that? Do we stand here needing less care than David did? And it's at this point that we come perhaps in a fuller way to embrace David's prayer in our own life. For we need to rest in the fact that an almighty God surely answers our prayers, that he cares for us, that he preserves us, that he keeps us. That even in days that we live in, where we are hard-pressed on every side, and we are not those who look and say, the future is going to get gloriously brighter and better. Only in the day where the Lord returns and brings us farther out and further into the new heavens and new earth. No, there's going to be trial and affliction and persecution and ridicule and mockery and injury. Some even killed and martyred for their faith and belief in Jesus Christ and his promise. In this world that will attack us, who seeks to dismiss the claim of God and which spews sin all around, this people will not heed the word. Will we stand? Lord, I am in your line of sight and I am cared for under your wings. Will we truly cling to that and believe it? And that description is real, right? Verse 10, they have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey and a young lion in secret places. That Satan is seeking those he may devour. That the world will continue to hate the truth and despise us for believing it. The days will become more evil and violent until the return of Christ. Will we trust even then? It's easy to speak what we know, 
But do we trust it? Do we trust that he answers in providing refuge, shelter in time of storm, protection under his wings, that we may stand as a witness to his care and his desire to keep us in the faith? And if this is where the psalm stopped, it would be good enough. Our refuge is God. Our strength and courage is in the Lord. And yet he says, I'm going to deliver you. Lord, you deliver that in the last place. For David longs for it right now. And I would say we do too, right? Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Said that last night at our dinner. We look forward to your preaching tomorrow. I hope Jesus comes back first. But as we come to this place, we long for his return. Verse 13, arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. Lord, come to my aid. Remember your covenant promise. Come immediately and rescue me. And here are those traces of hurt that David is still not all over it. Come immediately and rescue. I have been righteous and faithful. I have been preserved by your help. Kept and protected, led on the Lord's path and in the Lord's ways. And yet he's crying out, intervene even with force. Come, Lord. Deliver me from the wicked by your sword. Because, God, you are a deliverer, but you're also a judge. Confront them with the testimony of your word. Subdue them with truth. Deliver me from those who lie and hate you. Deliver me from this world of tears, from struggle and from hardship, from pain and from suffering. Lord, rise up and rescue me. And so it isn't this kind of self-righteous prayer where, oh, I want this suffering and keeping them up. None of us want to suffer. And so if the Lord ordains that for us, he will use it. But ultimately, Father, take it away because we want to be comforted in you. So deliver us. Rise up, Lord, and rescue us. And so David needed physical deliverance. But even in these words, he's still more concerned with that spiritual one. I want to know the deliverance of the Lord even in these words because he's looking at his present circumstances. Yes, I've been righteous and faithful, following after the way of the Lord, and yet that danger is still real. He's still far from home. He's still far from the comforts of that kingdom. And it might seem in that moment for David like there was no reward for righteousness. We kind of fall into that sometimes too. Maybe you've said that to yourself. Is it worth it? Why does it matter? Even in this community of faithfulness, quote-unquote, Does it matter that I cling to trust in this way? It does. And yet, why do we say those things? Does it matter? Is it worth it? It's when we take our eyes away from the truth of Christ and fix our eyes on the things of the world. And that's where David knots himself up to. I see Saul's comfort and I want that. No, you have something better. When we look at the world, we get angry and indignant when we see them despising the Lord in his words, when they gather up possessions and seemingly have easy lives. But what do they really have? Ask yourself that. What do they have? They have a bunch of possessions will not last, stuff that will not lead them into blessing, but only into the Lord's judgment now and forever. And David recognizes that too. Hear it. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. Verse 14, with your hand from men, O Lord, from the men of the world who have what? Their portion in this life. 
See, David wants to be saved from the temptation to take comfort in the things that the world takes her comfort in. Examine your heart, brothers and sisters. Is that where you find your comfort? Because that isn't an only comfort in life and in death. And so David is praying, Lord, deliver me from being like them. Deliver me from being one who thinks this world is all there is. Deliver me. And why can he pray that? Because he begins looking at the world rightly and saying, whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possessions for their babes. Yet even then, David is asking, deliver me from their judgment. For such filling in wealth and possession and inheritances will ultimately lead to their end. And so David is crying out, Lord, deliver me from any notion that your love and favor is to be measured by the things in this life. No, that isn't it at all, right? No, David has something far better, and we do too. And so we close with this. We have the Lord. What we have is eternal. We have his word. We have him who is our heart's desire. We have what our hearts cry out to him for, for the blessing and grace that is poured out to us and fills us. And in his covenant promise comes to our children and our grandchildren that we may cry, Father, deliver us from our sins. Deliver us from slavery to this world. And we know that we can have that because of what is ours in Christ. You see, we have deliverance by way of his life and death. We have deliverance by way of his righteousness, of the one that David longed for, for the Savior Jesus Christ, who through his deliverance has granted his righteousness to us, which is that which is far better than the world has to offer us. And where does that bring us? Here. It brings us into the presence of the Lord. Verse 15, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. You will see me, and I will see the blessing of the countenance of your face. I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. That in Christ alone have we been justified, but he's also making us new. Even in these trials and struggles, recreating us in his likeness by his spirit. So that our hearts stop longing for the stuff of this world, but rather for the glory of being his and looking like him and living with him forever. People of God, do you seek your righteousness, your deliverance, your care, your protection in Christ alone? If not, cry out to him. No matter your present circumstance, cry out to him for deliverance and for the faith and wonder of perseverance. And if you don't know this comfort, cry out to Jesus and live. Confess your sins in the ways that you have hated God and hated neighbor. Confess all those ways in which you've placed your trust and hopes in the things that are yours rather than in the things that are his. Come to Jesus and live. And in that way, David could rest secure in righteousness because the Lord was his righteousness. He could stand up in his suffering because he stood in the suffering of his Savior. And so may he too attend to our cries and find us faithful, resting in him and in his promises, clinging to him as our refuge, 
finding our full self-satisfaction in him and in him alone. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. And Father, we cry out to you and confess to you, Lord, the pride of our hearts. This stubborn refusal we have at times to cling to your word and to know its truth. The ways that our eyes wander from our glorious inheritance that is now and still coming to, to see the shiny things that glitter but only bring death in this world. Father, please help our unbelief. Father, in those ways in which we look to, to whether we are suffering or not as our litmus test of faithfulness, Father, we pray, might you use suffering in our lives to draw us close to yourself, to remind us of the promise. Father, in those times where you grant comfort and grace, may we not take our eyes away from that and look to self, but may we continually look to you. And that, Father, we would long for what David longs for, to in that last day see your face. For when you shall appear, we shall be like you, for we shall see you as you are. Father, what joy there is to be found in your presence. 